Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today, a mystery from the Grave Tales Sydney Volume 1 book that's based on the classic novel Great Expectations and is called Charles Dickens and the Mrs. Donnithorne and Havisham. Bride jilted on the morning of her wedding. Guests turned away from an elaborate banquet that stayed on the tables untouched and a woman that remained in her wedding dress for the rest of her life. Sound familiar? This is the story of Miss Eliza Emily Donnythorne who lives in a grave in Camperdown Cemetery, Sydney. It's also the story of the fictional Miss Havisham from Charles Dickens's novel Great Expectations. Could the tragic, fictitious story of Miss Havisham belong to a real Australian woman long since buried? And if so, how did Charles Dickens hear of Eliza's story from the other side of the world? For those who might not be familiar with the story, give us the short version of the Charles Dickens story. I love this story, and many people do. In Great Expectations, it's a fictional story, of course, about Miss Havisham. And Miss Havisham is left at the altar, is the best way to put it. She was raised by her father. Her mother died when she was just a baby. And her father was very wealthy and spoiled her. But on his death, she was left a very wealthy, single young woman. Now, in those days, and we're talking, you know, 19th century, a woman in possession of a fortune, to quote Jane Austen, must be in need of a husband, only the reverse, of course. Well sought after, you might say. Well sought after, yeah. yeah. Matters of the heart weren't as important as matters of the purse. So she was a wealthy, single young woman, but the problem was she had no one really looking out for her, which a father figure would normally do. So an attractive cat she was, and she fell in love with a man named Compison. This is all fiction. Now, in the novel, her cousin says, he's only after your money, he's going to steal your riches, you know, don't go with him, etc. But she's in love. She's deeply in love. So on the morning of their wedding day, as Miss Havisham is dressing, Mm. excited about becoming Mrs. Compison, a letter arrives from the future groom, and he's taken her fortune and left her at the altar. Wow. Yes. Now, as you can imagine, she was heartbroken and humiliated. It was a society wedding, so it was never going to go below the radar. Everybody knew about it, and her guests were to be told of the misfortune. The treachery affected Miss Havisham very badly. She insisted all the clocks were stopped at the exact time that she learned of his betrayal. The banquet remained on the table, and the large wedding cake rotted there, never cut or eaten. Now, you've probably seen the films and versions of... Great Expectations, I've seen a brilliant one with David Suchet. Some leading British actresses have played Miss Havisham, including Gillian Anderson and Helen Bonham Carter as well. She's been well represented in history, and that, that gruesome scene of, you know, the rats running over the table and the disintegrating cake, etc., has been done to great effect. So that's all Charles Dickens's Great Expectations. And so she kept that up for life? She kept that up for life. She didn't change out of her wedding dress. And she adopted a daughter, Estella, and basically raised her to believe that all men were treacherous. Okay. Reading the book, you'd think this is only a story that could be fiction. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, really, who in their right mind, you know, even if you weren't in your right mind, I mean, we're talking about closing off a room where a banquet's rotting away and we're talking about a woman who spends her life in a wedding dress. And all the clocks at the same all time. All the clocks stopped, etc. It's a great story. It's a great, <laughs> great gruesome tale. So she becomes obviously a recluse, Miss Havisham, and quite eccentric, except for, you know, keeping the company of her daughter who she tries to turn against men. Mm. And, you know, that's a different tale itself and what becomes of Estella. But that's basically the premise of Miss Havisham. So is Miss Havisham actually based on a real woman who lived in Sydney and is buried in Camperdown Cemetery? Okay, well, judging by the title that uh, you've given this story, (laughs) I suspect that probably... 
there's something that leads you to think that there may be well, well and truly, a real person. She could well and truly be a real person. So our own Miss Havisham was a lady by the name of Miss Eliza Emily Donnythorne. And she resided at Cambridge Hall in King Street, Newtown, yep. in Sydney. Now, Eliza came to Australia with her father, James Donnythorne. He was a very wealthy man too. You'll see a few similarities as we go along. He was an East Indian Company judge and master of the Minton Calcutta. So he was very wealthy and he came to Australia to retire in 1836. Eliza was one of five children, so she had two older sisters, Penelope and Maria. But the girls, along with her mother, Sarah, died in the Calcutta cholera outbreak of 1832. Mm -hmm. So her two older brothers, William and Edward, stayed in England, and Eliza just came here with her father. So there's another similarity there. She's come over with a very wealthy father. She's a single woman, and he's indulged her. It's his only remaining daughter. He attempted to arrange a society wedding for her, but she rejected the suitor he picked, and she fell in love with a very modest shipping clerk. Now, this is a woman of some means. Mm. His name was George Cuthbertson. <laughs> so it's not too different from Dickens' Compison, yep. who jilted Miss Havisham. But if before Eliza was to marry, her father died, so she could choose to marry who she wanted then. Now, Eliza inherited most of his estate. Her brothers were still in England, so included a couple of houses, uh, considerable funds. She was a very wealthy and desirable woman. Remembering we're in the real world here, she decided that she'd marry George Cuthbertson. So she was 30 now, which is quite late for a woman to marry yeah. in that 19th century. And the wedding was to be a grand affair. But unlike Miss Havisham, Eliza didn't get a letter that morning to say he wasn't coming. He just left her at the altar. He just didn't turn up. He just didn't turn up. Uh, he's a rotter. Standing there in her dress, facing her guests, so she was, as you can imagine, humiliated and betrayed and devastated. And the story goes that our real Eliza never left the house again. Is that what Miss Havisham had done, never left the house? Or, or had she just sort of tried to live in the moment? No, both. She never left the house again. She never again. left the house. She had the clock stopped and she yep. never left the house again either. So both these women literally became recluses. They couldn't cope with the shame yeah. and the humiliation in society. And worse for Eliza Donathorn because she actually had to face people who turned yeah. up for the wedding. That's right. Um, whereas Miss Havisham could have just sent a note around saying, don't bother to turn up, it's not on. Uh, but instead, she then had to face all these people who turned up for this society wedding. Yep, all dressed up and ready, for, you know, wine dined and having a great time. All went home. You can imagine how long that discussion would have gone on in society yeah. about it. So yeah. no wonder they became recluses. Why would you leave the house? So what do we know about what she was like in when she became a recluse? Well, one of the sad things was, and this is really in keeping with the book, um, it said that the wedding breakfast remained where it would have been placed. So again... A bit she, like the cake out of the book. That's it. She never did clear the table. It disintegrated and moulded until it was dust, which is rather macabre, isn't it? And for the rest of her life, and I think this is particularly poignant and sad, Eliza left her front door slightly ajar just in case her groom returned, <laughs> wow. which is really sad. But that was never going to happen because allegedly Cuthbertson, the rotter, died in India not long after jilting Eliza. I hope he had a painful death. So the curious part of this tale for me is, if this is true, that Eliza Donathorne was Miss Havisham, how did Dickens get onto it? Oh, well, good question. And I'll give you a couple of theories on that. So just finishing with Eliza, she remained in that house for another 35 years, and she died in 1886. She was about 65 when she died. And she was buried with her father in Camperdown Cemetery there in Sydney. And she left a, a large estate. As I said, she was a wealthy woman. She had properties in the UK, Sydney and Melbourne. So her housekeeper and nieces, the Diocese of Sydney, and her pets all benefited from it. Mm. And obviously Charles Dickens as well, because he got a damn good story out of it, probably one of his best. Nevertheless, 
Fact versus fiction, it's a good question. How did he hear about it? Well, Great Expectations was written in 1861. So that was five years after the failed wedding of the real Eliza. So there was plenty of time for him to hear about it. Yep. And it bore a lot of similarities. But as many naysayers for the validity of the story, as there are devotees. Mm. If you want to get into the nitty-gritty, there's discrepancies between dates and times and births and deaths. The old St. Stephen's Parish records actually include marriage bans because, you know, those days they had to post marriage bans before they were married. Between 1845 to 1865, neither the names Donnie Thorne or Cuthbertson were in there, so they didn't post bans to be married. And if you have a read of Matt Murphy's article, if you want to Google it and find that, the truth about the truth about Eliza Donathorne, he provides a lot more information on that to clarify what's actually in the St. Stephen's records. So would an author like Dickens pick up the essence of the story, if you like, and because he wouldn't want it to be seen to be just knocking off a good yarn, changed it enough to um, to try and hide the fact that it was Eliza Donathorne? Well, that's a good question, and I think you're talking in the now world when you ask that, because you've got to remember what communication was like in 1856. Unless somebody wrote you a letter, which took probably some time to get to the other side of the world, there's not going to be a great exposure of um, detail about this woman or who knew her, or you're not going to be on social media and you're not going to hit the web. So it's a time when news could be fairly well guarded, I guess. But let me tell you how he might have heard of the story. I was going to say, so, so likewise, if communications weren't that great, how did he pick it up? Well, he had a number of friends that he corresponded with in Australia, uh, some of those in Sydney. And some of them, or one of them, may have told him the Eliza Donathon story. Knowing he's a writer, they might have thought he f- might find that most interesting or eccentric, or may have just passed it on as gossip, of course. Yeah. Another fact is he's no stranger to Australia. In Great Expectations, this very book, Pip's benefactor, young Pip, who gives him great expectations, is Abel Magwitch, and he hailed from New South Wales. Okay. So he's got the Australian connection there, in fiction even. Mm. There was also some conjecture that Dickens' sons, Albert and Edward, who actually resided in New South Wales for a time, might have conveyed the story to their father, but there's other sources that say both the sons didn't live in, in Australia till five years after Great Expectations was printed. Another consideration is that Charles met Eliza's brother. You know how she had the two brothers that lived in the UK? Yep. Now, one of her brothers was quite an influential man in the magistrate, and his name was Edward, and he lived in Twickenham. And Dickens visited Twickenham in 1838, and Donathorns were part of his group, were part of his neighbourhood and, and society. So he may have heard about her living in Newtown, Sydney, then and what happened to her in 1848. Remembering Great Expectations first appeared as a three-volume novel in 1861. Mm. So moving in those circles... He may well have heard her story. There's a couple of other contenders, though, for Miss Havisham, as there always are, but <laughs> probably one of the most interesting ones is a British bridegroom at the same time, around that era, Nathaniel Bentley. Dickens could have heard firsthand of Mr Bentley's story. He was due to be married and his fiancée died the morning of their wedding. Wow. And he sealed up <clears throat> the banquet room in the tavern where they were to celebrate in Bishopsgate, London, mm. and ordered it never to be opened. If you owned the hotel, you wouldn't be too happy about that, <laughs> unless he was paying rent on well, that room. Well, you'd want to, wouldn't you? Yeah. There's a number of other similar examples. But I just think it's interesting that these two ladies, our Eliza, the jilted Sydney woman, and Great Expectations, Miss Donnythorne, shared a very similar life journey. Well, you know, one in the flesh and one on the page. So I think it's a consideration. What happened when Miss Havisham died? Where's she buried now? She's buried with her father, so they share a gravestone in Camperdown Cemetery in Sydney. Yep. But an interesting little twist on Not the Not that tar. far from where she lived. Not that far, exactly, yeah. We went and had a bit of a look around for it there. I think it's a shop now, the actual yeah. Crooks Hall, the actual house. Yeah. 
But an interesting little twist, which might just get you across the line if you're a little bit doubtful, is that in 2004, Eliza and her father's headstone was vandalised, which is terrible. And Sydney TAFE Monumental Repair and Maintenance students repaired it with the help of a grant from Rookwood Anglican Cemetery to the value of 2700 and from the Dickens Society. <laughs> so they thought there was obviously something in Miss Eliza Donathorne that they wanted to spend a little money to preserve her grave. Yeah. It's an easy-to-find grave. You access Campound Cemetery from the main gate at yep. the front of St Stephen's Anglican Church. fence around it, so that's the only way you can get in. Yep, that's exactly right. It's the only way you'll be able to get in there. And Eliza's grave is under some spreading trees at the centre back of the graveyard. So just walk towards the back. And her father's name comes first on the gravestone. And the inscription on the base of the marble cross says, and also Eliza Emily, last surviving daughter. This is my favourite cemetery. I love Camperdown. It's just beautiful. Why? It's a community. You wander through there at dusk and there's living strolling with the resting and the dead and children climbing trees and dogs walking through and people talking and people having a drink. And mm. it's just, if I wanted to be buried anywhere, I'd feel alive being buried there. You're just part of that community. It's wonderful. <laughs> Consequently, getting a park is, a bit is very tricky, but go and give your best to Eliza. She had a hard life. You've been listening to Grave Tales, the series podcast. Look out for further episodes and connect with us at gravetales.com.au on Facebook and on Instagram. And look out for our tours. Music by Kai Engel. Copyright 2018, Atlas Productions and Grave Tales. 